Mean Old Lion Media presents Black Arm of the Law. Welcome to Black Arm of the Law podcast, where each week we'll examine the most pressing issues in the criminal legal system. I'm your host, Dr. Rochelle Brackney, also known as Chief B. As we settle into today's show, don't forget to download, subscribe, follow, rate, and comment wherever you listen to your, your favorite podcast. Now, now, today, let's jump into this. This week, I'm going to do headlines and hashtags. Folks, there is a lot going on this week. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about is a few headlines that caught my attention. This one was important. Investigation into New York Mayor Adams focused on campaign money and possible foreign influence. For those of you who don't know, um, the FBI had a search warrant for the cell phones of Mayor Adams and possible connections to Turkey um, and providing, I'm going to guess, some sort of back roads to getting some properties. But let me tell you why this is important. In 1999, Adams, who was a former police officer for New York before he rose up into the political ranks, he said on race in policing, lying is at the root of our training. At the academy, recruits are told that they should not see black or brown. They should literally um, only see, you know, the crime that's in front of them. We all know that the majority of people arrested for predatory crimes are African-American. Now, this is Adam's words, not mine. We didn't create that scenario, but we have to police in that scenario. So we need to be honest and talk about it. Strong words now from a former police officer, now mayor, being accused and investigated for possibly lying about his campaign finances. So we need to investigate or think more about what is taught at these academies and what is the police response when they encounter crime. Another headline that caught my attention. Um, we talk about police responses to crime, violence, and demonstrations, particularly right now, um, as there's a lot of on-campus demonstrations, rallies, and marches to discuss the Israeli or to protest against the Israeli-Hamas war. Yesterday, uh, the Third Guard Marshall Institute's research finds that racial justice protests more likely to have police violence. Quote, the detail briefs how police have repeatedly and disproportionately responded with elevated violence and suppression to racial justice protests as compared to other protests. These findings now have very specific implications for all who exercise or seek to exercise their first, their fourth, or 14th Amendment rights to engage in lawful protests without discriminatory harassment. Now, according to the Institute, quote, when communities protest against racial injustice and police violence, they are routinely met with even greater police violence. The analysis demonstrates the full scope of the tragic irony documenting a disturbing pattern of law enforcement responding more violently to racial justice protests compared to others. What this shows is this, is that Whenever your right to protest is under attack, you create an urgent need to remove law enforcement now from the protest. And is it possibly this is the way in which they're being trained or is there a push across the greater USA to change the way we police to more militarized tactics 
away from community policing, even though that's what everyone is now saying they should be doing. Now, I find this extremely interesting and intriguing because a previous guest of mine, Chief Larry Scarato, he is known for his community policing outreach and hiring and diversity. He's under fire with the current um, governor or mayor in Pittsburgh, Ganey, for these headlines. Pittsburgh Police Chief Larry Scarato is nixing community relations in favor of throwback policing. And what is really under fire and under scrutiny right now is they're putting together um, what is similar to a street crime unit um, or uh, whatever they're calling unit that will conduct intelligence-led deterrence policing in hotspots, that they will be highly proactive as they look to disrupt criminal activity before it occurs. Now, this hotspot approach to policing is not new, but who typically is on the, the, the radar for hotspot policing? They disparately and disproportionately um, target people of color, and that Pittsburghers already has a, a crime or a statistic in the study that shows that the current disparity that Black Pittsburghers are more than six times more likely to be arrested than white residents. Well, you know, that might help with crime in the short run, but what is it going to do in the long run when you delegitimize your policing efforts, your community policing efforts, um, your outreach efforts, when you need community to help you solve crime? There is also the concern that these independent units start to develop and ends justify the means um, type of culture. We saw this. We talked about it with Chief Murphy um, in Baton Rouge, where they had the, the Brave Cave. Um, that was a specialized unit for the Baton Rouge area violence elimination. And they set up the warehouse that was a torture chamber um, that was disbanded. In Memphis, we had the Scorpion Unit, which is the street crimes operation to restore peace in our neighborhoods. That was, you know, became world-renowned or infamous after for their abusive behavior. And that was before the charging of five officers for brutally beating uh, Tyree Nichols. The Department of Justice did um, um, indict those officers. But also, too, in Pittsburgh, the trouble with this specialty unit, um, as their, as their, whatever the, the unit is now being called, um, Street Crimes Unit, SCU, is that, you know, they also say they're going to work with the community um, by attending youth basketball and football games. So are they attending these community events to build trust and legitimacy, or are they attending the community events to help with their intelligence-led policing and gathering um, of information, all which could undermine the legitimacy of the hard work and true work they're trying to do. It also, um, when we're talking about shifting of police tactics, two headlines, additional headlines that rung out. Um, the Baltimore Sun was addressing qualified immunity. And where this came up in is recently, the headlines read, quote, no one's life is collateral damage. Qualified immunity for police must be stopped. And the reason this is now um, being brought up is because December, early December, the Maryland courts are going to be ruling um, about qualified immunity. And one of the cases that was brought before them is because in 2020, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit 
push back on this concept that, you know what, when police do their work, there's collateral damage. And what they were talking about in terms of collateral damage is this, that the court recognizes that police officers must make split decisions, but we expect them to do that with respect and dignity and worth of black lives. This came as a result of the fact that um, Baltimore police officers were involved in an incident specifically they had been called to a home um, in which the police shot, get this, shot the mother who they had called, been called to their house. She was there, they were there because she was having mental health issues. She was there with her five-year-old son. And when she was experiencing the mental health issues, the police came because she had missed a court date for a minor traffic issue. They showed up heavily armed. The Baltimore County, Baltimore County police kicked in the door of her home. They found her with a gun. And then there was a standoff. During the standoff, the woman, Miss Gaines, huddled in her apartment with her five-year-old son, Corey. There were more than 30 officers there, police snipers, armor-clad vehicles, and at least four officers who were armed were stationed just outside her door. During the six-hour standoff, the officer who shot her indicates he was hot and frustrated and he was triggered when Miss Gaines followed her son, five-year-old son Cody, into the kitchen to make him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He then shot her in the back, killing her, indicating that he had um, said she was no threat. The jury said she was no threat. He indicated he had aimed for her head, shooting her through the kitchen wall with full knowledge that Cody, the five-year-old, was just within feet of her. The bullet from the high-power rifle exited her body, ricocheted off the refrigerator, and struck Cody in the face. The mother was mortally wounded, and in addition to that, he then shot her a few more times while she was laying there. Another headline talks about why we need to think about qualified immunity differently. This one occurred in Seattle. These are all, again, headlines this week. Cops stormed into a terrified Seattle woman's home. It was the wrong address. A woman was in her home about to take a bath when police officers kicked down her door, flooded into her apartment, and pointed guns at her. Now, what's so interesting about it is there had been a call for domestic violence and a mental health call. One set of officers went to the right address. A second set goes to the wrong address and kicks down this woman's door. What's so interesting about it is cops are, are frequently um, invade or kick down doors of the wrong homes without properly checking the right address, which not only just leads to damage and uh, to property and, and furniture, people are terrified. People die at the hands of police when you ultimately kill an innocent person who has no idea why the police are, you know, breaking into their homes. Think about the Breonna Taylor case. When they break in, um, they basically have a falsified warrant, but they shoot her boyfriend who is defending their home, and then they charge him for shooting at the police. So while we don't know the full scale of how often this happens, an interesting statistic came out. Between 2017 and 2020, Chicago police officers rated at least 21 wrong addresses, 21 wrong addresses, 
right? So what do you do when they raid a wrong address? Well, you know what? They're protected by qualified immunity. That says that you cannot sue them civilly for their wrongful actions. They're not the only ones who are protected by qualified immunity. A lot of your government officials, your senators, representatives, people in, in council, they're protected by qualified immunity too. I think it's time we have the discussion because otherwise we are going to continue to have these types of headlines and hashtags. To our audience, thank you for listening. Come back next week. Please tell someone about the show. Don't forget to download and subscribe. Follow, rate, comment on Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, such as Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart. Tune in. This is the end of my shift. I am 1042. Catch you next week. The Black Arm of the Law podcast is hosted by Rashal Brackney-Wheelock. Executive producers Ken Johnson, Steve Tompkins, and Rashal Brackney-Wheelock. Find Black Arm of the Law on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, the Mean Old Line Media app, or where you get your podcast. Follow Black Arm of the Law at BLK Arm of the Law on IG and X. Follow the Mean O-Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O-Line Media. Get the Mean O-Line Media app in the App Store and Google Play for more great podcasts. The Black Arm of the Law Podcast is a Mean O-Line Media production.